You are listening to Flipping the Narrative. Come and flip with us. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's still the month of love. So we're going to talk about interracial love. Actually, this is a, a suggestion from one of our listeners who had said, who said, you know, why don't you talk about this, you know, about um, Filipinos and, and Caucasians or, you know, what are Europeans getting, you know, getting together, which seems to be quite making common. Whoopee. But it, yeah, making whoopee. And <laughs> it reminds me of this thing that, you know, Harry Kunzru, that, that uh, novelist, he's half British, half American, uh, no, sorry, half British, half Indian. And he had written this thing that kind of stuck in my head years ago. He was being interviewed. And he said, well, you know, the real reason why people are so fascinated by, um, by mixed race, obviously, when, we, when you have interracial relationships, you have mixed race children, right? And so he was saying that the question they really want to ask is, hands down, what kind of fucking took place for you to, you know, to happen? So there's like this <laughs> kind of fascination. I know, it's just stuck in my head, right? There's this kind Lovely of fascination band. with... <laughs> Good morning. I mean, I, think, I mean, I think it's a little bit too early into the night in the UK. I think you need some coffee or something there. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's part of the yeah. fascination, right? Because people are used to, you know, what they're used to. It's a kind of like, I see your kids yes, walking going, by. So th- th- this episode has now turned into fetish. But just saying that, that we are all actually either the product of a mix of mixed relationships or in, in, you know, in, in interracial relationships ourselves. So, you know, and I've just actually done a paper about the whole idea of cultural mestizaje. So the whole mix, right, about reclaiming it and saying we're all mixed in one way, mm-hmm. form or another. So why is there either, I don't know if it's a stigma or it's, yeah, like that, it's, it's fat, fetishized by some quarters and um you know why is there like so many layers of meaning into two people being together or getting it on right you know we were talking earlier as well and in in the case like the philippines are it's seen in so many different ways right i mean we'll go into that before that, I just want to say hi, Laura. Hi, Louise. Sorry, it's very <laughs> early in the morning. Too <laughs> much caffeine. Somebody. <laughs> it's yeah. still cold here. Where I also see Tipin and, and Mark um, kind of like, you know, dressed a little bit for the winter. But our guests today are like this amazing couple. Tipin, I, I kind of yeah. knew she was always like the ate of a very good friend of mine in college. And so I would see her at their house in Christina, right? Christina condominium. But she was always like the, you know, the cool Ata, the older, the older cousin. Tipin and Mark. Mark Nitki is a journalist extraordinaire. And um, he's been all over the world, Hong Kong, Philippines, throughout Asia and um, London as well. They are both now living in, in New York, in Manhattan with their, with their children. And or I think maybe your children are grown now and they're not they're not they're all gone. It's your empty nesting <laughs> in Manhattan, which is not a place, not a bad place to be. And Tipin yeah. has is like um, you know, aside from the whole personal um connection with Tipin, she's also been in the hotel industry with um Hyatt um in Manila and then JW Marriott in Hong Kong. 
and where you headed up the PR and communications team, right? And then, um, yeah, and then after you guys got married, you kind of took the backseat, you know, with your career and all that. Then you ended up in Hong Kong again, and then you went back to work for the Maritadel, but on a freelance basis. Right. And then since 2009, you've been in, yeah, you've been in the U.S., basically. Since uh, yeah. 2009, yeah. Yeah, 2009. And so here we are today. And yeah, so we thought it would be, you know, great to have you guys on the show and, you know, kind of, you know, talk about all these things. Um, I know in some relationship, they're all, like I said earlier, they're all these kind of like assumptions that, I mean, like, for example, when I got married, my ex-husband was, was a white dude. And even pe- before people had met me, like we'd been, you know, he, we, he was a banker. So we were all over the world and everything. My helper would encounter other helpers in like, for example, when we were living in Jordan, you know, she would say, oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my Amos, you know, is, is Filipina. And then the assumption would be, oh, 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 wow. She won the jackpot or something like that. Right. Because my husband was white or whatever, you know, so like all these things. But there are also relationships where. Why do we meet who we meet? Why do we marry who we marry? Love is love is love is love, right? Okay. I've talked too much now. Stephen so. <laughs> and Mark, welcome. Thank <laughs> you. Long I, I want to know who won the lottery then. Yeah. Uh, who was the <laughs> prize? Oh, I, I most certainly did. <laughs> there you go. Good answer, Mark. Very oh, yeah, good answer. <laughs> my back. Let me get it back down again. <laughs> Well, so we were talking about this earlier and Bambina mentioned quickly in the intro that if you just look around this room, everyone here, um, but maybe except Mark is a mixed race Filipino, right? Certainly Luis, me, Bambina, Tepin, I'm guessing. And Lu- well, so Bambina, Bambina's ex-husband is white. My husband, we were laughing before you guys came on. I'm married to a white man. And both of them were like, why'd you marry a white guy? And I was like, I didn't know he was white. I thought he was Latino because he's Argentinian. And then all my Latino friends were like, dude, that's white. I was like, dang it. I had visions of like revolutionary talks with Che Guevara and whatever. And that just is not how it panned out. But yeah, we were talking about how in, in different cultures, interracial couples can have a different history or different implications or whatever. In some African-American communities, seeing a black man with a white woman might get talked about, but in a different way than in the Philippines, where Sometimes seeing a Filipina with a white husband, it's like, yes, she won the lottery, right? Or other times we'll see, and this is definitely affected by our perceptions of class, we'll see a woman who looks like she's of a different social class married to a white foreigner or with a white foreigner. And immediately many of our minds will go to, is that a paid arrangement? How did that happen? Right? Um, So yeah, that's kind of the topic of, of today, I guess, the perceptions of Filipino interracial Coupling. <laughs> it sounds so National Geographic. Uh, so, okay, so let me ask one question. Have you guys actually had any problems throughout your marriage with that type of perception as you have traveled around the world? You know, I, I, I don't think I really, I have to think about that because sometimes, because I hear about it so often, like people would say, oh, did you have problems? But, but I really don't. I think I did, uh, maybe with the exception of um, a little bit when I had children and they had uh, friends because they went to international schools and they would have a totally Caucasian friends, right? Mother, the parents of uh, the, the child would be both Caucasian. And then they would see me and see something, 
someone so they get a little curious oh where's your mother from or you know because they were so young they really didn't understand that so in that sense maybe that's when i felt it the most you know uh because because i think that filipinos and americans there's very little adjustment really uh are so westernized Mm -hmm. you know uh truthfully to that point with the kids and the two places we have it actually that where young kids are familiar with Filipinos, Japan and Hong Kong, they mm. often have a perception of Filipinos as being helpers, being domestic yeah. servants. Yeah. So as young kids, that's one of the only times I can remember kind of being an issue that we'd have to address because the kids would get, you know, oh, is your mom a maid or is that type right. of, or you would think, is that your maid when the mom came right. to the school? Yes. Mm-hmm. But those were really the exception. You know, go, going back to the your, your beginning point about Filipinos marrying white guys, I, I don't. I think we think of ourselves as being bicultural more than biracial, mm-hmm. and even that, the cultural, particularly between Filipinos and Americans, is kind of so interwoven over the last century anyway. That yeah. that Filipinos are kind of the most Americanized Asians. Asians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, I came. If we go back a little bit of backstories. My you go back to my grandparents, they were my father's side. That was a mix of Polish and Russian and German. My mother was from Scotland. She's Celtic. I have a stepmother who's Japanese, who from essentially junior high school, I grew up with a Japanese mother. Well, my father, when I was in junior high and high school in the United States, that was still a period where biracial couples were not allowed to cohabit in about a third right. of the state of the United States. That's right. But we were also in San Francisco. So again, mm-hmm. I, I just sort of, uh, you grow up with this sense of bicultural, biracial. You don't think about it very much. Mm-hmm. So that when I started living in Asia for 30 years, interacting with Asians, you know, I would feel cultural gaps. I never really felt strongly racial gaps. Like somebody would look at me askance because I was with somebody that had darker skin than I did. I Probably, truthfully, say that never really happened to us at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, as a couple, you know. As a matter of fact, right. maybe quite opposite happens when I take Mark to Bacolod, where I'm from. People yeah. look at you. Like, yeah, it's like, you people looking yeah. at me. Yes, yeah, that's what I, who is that? <laughs> so, you people, he gets, Mark. He gets, more <laughs> he gets more stares at my own home than I do at his home. Let's or, put it or, way. or really anywhere, because yeah. we've lived at length in, in Tokyo and Hong Kong and London. Um, oddly, uh, in London, Tapin would occasionally run across, uh, you know, kind of aging old war vets who, you know, through their diminished vision, thought she was Japanese and yeah, <laughs> oh, you lost Singapore, but even that was but almost never as a couple. I, I must yeah, say, maybe because right. we've lived in, in in pretty sophisticated urban environments for yeah. the for the thirty five years we've been together. So it's not like we we, we were in Omaha, Nebraska, and might draw some stairs. Yeah. <laughs> or God, or God the Philippines. Yeah. God forbid I should live in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one question: I, I'd like to follow up on what you were sharing, uh, Mike about, you know, having to explain stuff to your kids. One of our previous guests, Saisa Bakani, you know, worked, her mother worked as a helper in Hong Kong. Uh, she originally went to Hong Kong to work as a, um, as a helper as well, and is now an incredibly awarded um, document, photo documentarist, right? And, and she was basically saying how now people talk differently to her because she has acquired status 
due to her successful you know, uh, profession. Uh, a large part of uh, the Filipino diaspora around the world are women and men who have gone out to, to serve others and to, to, you know, to keep families together and to leave their own for that, right? How did that impact you know, the difference of these two cultures or two different peoples? You in a high lifestyle and then being in Hong Kong with you know, so many overseas Filipino workers, to explain that to your kids I mean, what what um, do you say you know uh I, j- I remember just counting with one hand my children when they were very young asking my or saying things like oh my classmate uh is asking where you're from because why is because first i have to say that my kids are very very fair so they took after their father you know they're really really fair and i remember one time my son asked me my classmate asked me why my mother's skin is, is dark and why am I so white? You know, things like that. Kids, kid type questions. Uh, but the other thing also that I want to say is that I noticed in Hong Kong, in Tokyo, where we, where we lived, I would often hear this very frequently. People in the international community would say, oh, you don't have an accent. So they kind of yeah. almost they almost kind of profile you immediately. Hearing you right. hearing you say something, they almost yeah. determine what you are, where you're from, uh, what your status is, and they don't catch themselves saying that. Oh, but you have a different accent. You Filipino, yeah. you have a different accent. That's a big because what they're really saying is yeah. my nanny. My nanny right. doesn't speak like you. Exactly. That's right. So that's it's a class kind marker. Of like, yeah. yeah, it's a class so marker. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to share, you know, um, Mark, to your point of sort of not really feeling these these boundaries. Right. So I clear you can hear from my accent. Clearly, I'm half American. I grew up half my life in the United States, in the East Coast, mostly. And um, my accent comes and goes because I grew up here till I was 15 and now I'm back here. So it, it really is a mess. But what was interesting to me growing up is growing up in the Philippines, I didn't feel racialized. And that was because I was in part the way I look. I'm half white, right? But because I wasn't conio, <laughs> I wasn't sort of from a traditional older Spanish family, et cetera, et cetera. I actually didn't feel particularly at home. I felt a little bit otherwise because I wasn't the right kind of white, right? And then it was when I went to the States that I realized, oh, I'm not that kind of white either. <laughs> so I was actually <laughs> in boarding school. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I was like a refugee, right? And I was like, no, I'm like, cool. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I found a home in more third culture students, right? So Latinos and African-Americans and things like this. And that was sort of my first exposure to or awareness of race and, and what that plays and race and culture, certainly. But what was interesting, I guess, to, to um, compare stories, right? When I was dating a Black guy in college, this was not okay in the Philippines. And I came home and I actually had a friend of my mother's, who I won't name anymore, who came up to me at a party. She had heard about this through my mom. And apparently it caused a little bit of, everyone was a little at Twitter, right? And she took me aside and very seriously said, Iha, we're supposed to be improving the race. (laughs) And (laughs) you know, when you have those moments like deer in head, like, like, did that bitch just say that out loud? Like, does she know? Did that come out of her mouth? Did she? And then, though, when I married my husband, who is 
white and very good looking, very Latino, sort of typical, I don't know, I guess, typical standards of, of beauty here for, for Latino men. Oh my God, it was open arms. Across the board. It was, oh my God, everyone wanted to, oh my God, oh my God, please, please, we love him, whatever. And to the point that a cousin, a distant cousin said to me, be careful, huh? Everyone's going to try to get him. Be careful. You be careful. Yeah. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. Like, <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you very much. So interesting, right? I think that yeah. really and truly, obviously, like class plays into this. And, and yes, it's okay to, to sort of be in, in an interracial couple or whatever. But there are certain barriers <laughs> that are, or say, there are certain things that are more tolerated than not. Well, you know, uh, there was some reaction in Depends members of Depends family, more provincial, mm-hmm. older part of the Philippines. That, oh, mm-hmm. he's Jewish. How do you deal with that? I, I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm ethnic Jewish. I am not religious Jewish at all. I've never been to a synagogue in my life, except to cover news stories. But right. there was that. Was also, he's twice divorced. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those were. But again, yeah, those were those issues. Were cultural things. Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah. One back to the Yaya story. One of the interesting things that uh, the, uh, early on that I recognized cultural differences between us, which had, you, you kind of gloss over them because both of us are a bit odd. We're not tied to our. We're kind of wanderers. So we can pick. <laughs> we we picked up on on two weeks' notice and moved to another country, and we're both handled that very well. It's not a problem. But little tiny things like we first were together and, and Japan was about to give birth, you know, I've just been married a year and she had to have a full-time nanny, which of course I'd never had anything like, of course made sense. We were in Hong Kong. We both worked. She was at AW. I was traveling, of course. And everybody we knew had nannies. You know, lower class people in Hong Kong have their own nannies. Families that live mm-hmm. in 500 square foot apartments have have, will have a nanny. Have Sadly, often made to sleep on the kitchen floor, but it's, yeah, it's sure. yeah. there are thousands of them, as we know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was an unusual new thing to me, but Japan, of course, handles it because she grew up that way. She grew mm-hmm. up in her province in Manila as a working person. It's just normal. And then she wanted to, she started interviewing people. And one of the things she insisted on uh, that the nanny had to wear a white uniform. I said, that's ridiculous. And instantly I'm getting images of Richie Rich and maids coming out. Corona. But he said a really important thing that stuck with me years later. He said, no, it has nothing to do with uniforms. It's because it's like a nurse's uniform. It's, it's, it's a sign of respect. It's a professional uniform. Yes, exactly. I agree. It, it keeps kind of an interesting professional distance between the, the bosses and, and the worker. Uh, and it's not, you know, she, you know what it's like in Hong Kong. Firstly, every, yeah, yeah, wears jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. Japan said no. And it wasn't a, it wasn't meant to, it wasn't meant to make us look better. It was meant to respect the position so that she could say like a nurse would wear a uniform. Mm-hmm. No, this is my job. I have a professional job with duties. And then I kind of got how you get comfortable with that idea uh, that it wasn't just somebody to do little chores for you. It was a job. And you respected the person. Right, it's an right. interesting, to me, a potential episode, actually, in our culture of nannies and household help. Because that is, I know Luis at one point has been like, some of the treatment 
in some of the households is really awful. It's really abusive, right? Mm. And another, like you mentioned in Hong Kong, certainly here, it's really how most of us grew up. And even families that are not extremely wealthy will yes. have someone helping with the kids, will have someone helping with the house. So yeah, that is interesting to me for sure. What I also think is interesting in terms of the, the perception. So I have a, a very good friend, uh, ridiculously wealthy in Hong Kong, who looks rather Filipina, traditionally Filipina, married to a white guy. And I remember one of her, <laughs> I remember her saying repetitively, whenever she, so she was pregnant and she said, gosh, I hope the kid looks like me. So people don't think I'm the yaya. Yeah. And I remember when she said that, I went, wow, no, how interesting some of the things we say. She's a wonderful human being. Wonderful. Heart of gold, this, you know, all this stuff. And she's so not uh, mata pobre is the yeah. term that comes to mind. She's not classist. She's not like that. But I, I remember hearing her say that. And, and I remember thinking, how interesting. We really internalize these things. Like for us, it would be insulting to be thought of as the nanny. You know what I mean? But we love our nannies. We don't think of them like that. Really interesting. Uh, we know Sorry, people. Mark, you were about to say. No, I was just going to say, we know some Filipinos that have said the exact same thing. So we may know the same people, but it's entirely possible <laughs> than any other. When, when, our, when our second one, was it Daniel or Isabella? When, and one of them came out and I said, I, I was all excited that they looked kind of brown. Oh, this is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I go, well, this one, started, this one doesn't look like a white pasty guy like me. And he started telling me, oh my God, I have a Filipina child, I have a Filipina yeah, yeah, child. Well, and, and that one ended up looking more white than me, actually. After they cleaned him up. They started calling him Casper the Ghost said, after oh that. Oh my God, brown here. They, they are both so fair. Isabel actually has some features. I'm going to make her look a little like, very light Japanese in a funny way. But um, the boy. The, he the boy looks like you can almost hear people. They must have adopted that one, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> looks like a little miniature John Kennedy. Yeah, but in the Philippines, right? They just want to check if they have a nice nose or something, right? <laughs> I had an aunt. I had an aunt who said to me, "Laura, why are their noses like that?" And I was like, "Like what?" She goes, "They're pamo. They're more. They're not like yours, or they're not like your husband's." And I was like. That's what you saw. This is the first time you're meeting your niece and nephew. That's what we're going to talk about. Like, and that's what I think, you know, we're trying to come from here. And love is love is love is love. Of course, we fall in love with who we fall in love with. But it is so interesting as Filipinas, certainly. I mean, I can't speak for Filipinos. I certainly can't speak for the gay Filipino experience, Luno. But these perceptions that even we internalize, that we have extremely loving people walking around saying, shit, I hope they don't think I'm the nanny. <laughs> Why is that so bad? What I was going to ask is, you know, it's really interesting to see how we're recognized for, you know, being the best pretty much caregivers around the world. Kind, generous, dedicated, leave our families at home to care for other people's families, right? And yet the first thing that comes up um, in terms of perception is, you know, people look down at you. You know, or the Filipino, oh, you're not. And I lived in Mexico for a long time. But I consider myself Mexican somehow. And I'd go to the States and like, oh, you, you don't look Mexican. And like, okay, so do, do I need to come with the charts and say what's going on? So, I mean, a lot of it is these filters that immediately jump out, right? Oh. But I wonder what, what, what has it been that, you know, uh, as Filipinos, we have such, we're so well-loved for 
so for the things that we do for others, and yet the perception is like negative in terms of relationships, especially right. That creates yeah, that category, and then you know. Yeah, because I, I would get, I mean, in Hong Kong, I remember I, was, I went to some, I can't remember what it was, some cocktail thing. And, you know, somebody from a colleague of my ex-husband's was HSBC, you know, those typical Brits, who like said, oh, you're from the Philippines? Really? But you're so glamorous. What kind of comment is that, right? <laughs> I just, you're like, you're pasty as fuck. So you look British to me. You don't sound smart, though. <laughs> right what's the freaking stereotype there yeah they, they they accept filipinas as the best caregivers but they do categorize they tend to categorize us in a certain way now i don't mean all of us right because yeah. i said earlier they seem to make the determination when they meet you they see the circumstances mm-hmm. of your life they see the circumstances of your environment the way you dress the way mm-hmm. you speak and then right away they decide, you know, mm-hmm. that oh she's sophisticated, oh she's worldly, oh she's okay. But the same Filipino can ha can the same Filipino can be just as smart, but maybe by accident of birth, maybe is a little bit different. Maybe had to yeah, yeah. had to come yeah. here to be a nurse or a caregiver or something. And that and, puts her yeah. in all we, different categories. We also live in an unusual time here where you've got, in the midst of the pandemic, it is hammered home, home more than ever uh, how dependent healthcare system is on Filipino uh, right. nurses. Uh, which yeah, is I mean, the system would collapse if, if yeah. as, a, as a race, Filipinos walked away from this country. Mm, right. At the same time, we're living in probably the greatest upsurge in white nationalism. Since the 1950s, absolutely, uh, yeah, random Asians are being yeah. attacked. Uh, oh yeah, exactly. Uh, girl just the other day just got into stabbed. her apartment and stabbed. Yes, there was a young girl, a young woman. Yeah, I saw that. So it's this uh, so, shocking dichotomy. Yeah? yeah, this is the of of our 35 years together. Um, we had a couple of incidents in London where a couple of old farts, a taxi driver, and a and an old World War II veteran kind of sniped it to him. And in Japan, you know, occasionally, you know, Japanese are a little standoffish towards Filipinos. They're probably all a generation very standoffish. But the Japanese society as a, as a whole tends to be so polite. A lot of that stuff just gets kind of washed out. You don't feel it. And again, we, we both we have the benefits of living as expats, with, which offer you um, lots of benefits financially. And, ah, and to- yes. So I want to actually segue on that. Hearing expats, we were not, talking. You're not struggling in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, make it as 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 uh, working in a bar or sweeping streets. Or yeah. Anything. So. Um, yeah. And the Japanese have their versions of that. Not because they're right. it's a you know, racist society in its way. But again, yeah. over all those years, we've not been ever that cognizant in a serious way of, of these racial things. Yeah. The last year and a half or so, the last two or three years with this Trump madness and all, we've started to feel things. I, again, I haven't felt since since I was in junior high school and some people would look askance at me because I had a Japanese stepmother, which was, you know, kind of unusual yeah. in the city. But to all those years have passed and to start feeling that again in this country is uh, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's no, pretty really, in a really bad way because you just hear about yeah. it. Yeah. 
Asians being pushed into train tracks or stabbed in apartments. Yes, yeah. This is okay. I'm in our neighborhood in of so many places. Yeah. I should feel like this in America oh, where Dubai. there's so many Filipinos, you know? I didn't feel that really in Hong Kong and I didn't feel that in Tokyo and I didn't really feel that in London, maybe except for mm. just really, really minor, minor cases. But here in the States, I feel it not because it's happening to me, but because of what I see with yeah. other people, right? And sure, it sort exactly. of scares me a little bit because now yeah. I go out, I'm a, the subway queen. I love taking subways, right? Me too. Take me everywhere. And all of a sudden I find myself really being, you know, careful. being very careful, yeah. not standing closer to the platform mm-hmm. and things like this. And it really saddens me because mm-hmm. all my life I never felt like this. But no, suddenly. And, and, and none of this has to do with biracial yeah, or, or yeah, how we're perceived yeah, yeah. next yeah, to yeah. each other. Because this yeah, is New York yeah. and, and yeah. San Francisco Ooh. and Chicago. Yeah. You would never yeah, really, sure. nobody, nobody cares. Yeah, you wouldn't bat an eyelash. Yeah. So you had mentioned oh, sort of cognizance. Yeah, <laughs> you had mentioned cognizance, Mark. And Pippin had mentioned, you know, how this has changed perhaps for you over time. And What's been interesting to me is, you know, I had mentioned sort of growing up in these, quote, capital O, othered spaces, right? And this is what I studied in school. I really, I majored in sort of studies of race and power and and gender and things like this. So for me, it's actually a real point of interest. And so when I had children who look decidedly Caucasian, right, it's it's a point of conversation that we regularly have. And Bambina heard me talk about this when we talked about anti-racism for Manila House, right? Where say my kids are watching Raising Dion and there's a conversation that a lot of black parents have to have with their black male children, say at the age of 11, where they do have to talk about if you are faced with a policeman, what do you do? And it's an awful conversation for any parent to have with their child, right? And so we're watching this with my kids and I'm telling them, look, you're Filipino. Most people will not think of you as Filipino. And therefore, you might be given certain perks that you don't quote deserve. It's not your fault. You were born like this, right? But your job is to know that just because you look like you do, it doesn't mean you need to be get served first in a Starbucks or allowed to go ahead of the line. You need to know, your job is to know that that's not okay. And if you can speak up about it, great, because chances are if someone else were to speak up about it, they might actually get killed or have the cops pulled on them, right? And it's been an interesting journey for me as a parent to talk about this rather than not. And at least in our little microcosm, in our experience, I've found that it's made them feel actually more empowered than afraid, no? And so it is, I just, it made me think about how do we talk to our children about this? You had mentioned about perceptions of being nanny or, you know, is your mom like this or is whatever. And for us, we've really sort of decided to face it kind of head on and really talk about what is the privilege we have for looking the way we do, right? It sounds like talking to our daughter, who actually was a PhD candidate at Princeton, studying pretty much all those same things. She's a uh, Ooh, look it up. I'm a doctor. History, uh, uh, political theory, and you know this is all. I I think I think kids are very sensitive about it. They're very sensitive. My my son is now dating a biracial woman. She's half half white, half black. He's become mm-hmm. really, really sensitive about this. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, uh, well, her partner is a white guy, so but she's still very sensitive about it. And in fact, the first time she heard the term, I think one of my sisters, one of my relatives, baby, mentioned the term mejorar la raza. 
And she, mm-hmm. she asked me, what does it mean? I said, improve the race. She got really upset about that. She says, yeah. you feel Filipinas were told that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you grow, you as you grow, grow right? worst enemy. You should stop thinking like that. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, we have but issues. It's, it's all, yeah, it's all this internalized um, yes. self-hatred yeah. in a way, like not even appreciating mm-hmm. who we are. And, and yeah, and yeah. I was, it was funny because a friend of mine is half American. She lives in Manila and she was saying that, um, and you know, she has half like white a American French bumps. Yeah, half white American, sorry. And and a French sounding last name. So her father was American of Swiss descent. And her mother is from, you know, very good. It, it's almost like you have to keep making that qualifier, which which yeah. kind of annoys me. Like, yeah. From a good family, right? And, oh, and then she was, <laughs> we were talking about this the other day, and she was yeah. saying, um, in fact, it was her father. When you look at things, like it's her father who lucked out because he was mm. a GI. Right. And, you know, you come after the war to the Philippines and everything and you're like just a soldier. You know what I mean? But there's also a whole class distinction. You know, there, there's right. all this stuff as well to, to grapple with. But I'm just saying yeah. that it's also changed because there was probably that whole generation of, of Filipinas who married um, mm. soldiers after the war and all that. And then, and then, you know, as you had more maybe professional um Filipinas going into the workforce abroad or whatever, and then you know you're you're yeah. you're low side. You know you you also meet a whole different range of people. Like you know you're with educated people as well, with professional people mm-hmm. and all that. So you know I'm just so, saying that there's always this this we have a lot of factors. Luck. So we we have seen yeah. versions of that Every, everywhere we live. We've seen versions of that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know you live in London and they they'll look down on the Irish or the Scots. You. In Japan, mm. they'll look down. Koreans. Well, he's not really full mm. Japanese. His great-grandfather was Korean. And then that comes with Persep. Uh, no, I think it's not unique to any country, really. I mean, it happens everywhere. There's always... Yeah. Like, there's always I, I think always- there might just tend to be a little sensitivity in the Philippines because of the disparity in classes as well. And then you have like what's been referred to horribly as like, Islands, you know, island souvenirs, and even we sometimes island souvenirs. Okay, yeah, like I haven't heard that. I've heard, I've heard of rice kings and rice queens, but not yeah. island souvenirs. No, no, no. Okay, like I went to the Philippines and I came back with <laughs> yes, <more than laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but not only that, but, but people will say. So I had a friend who had separated and everything from her husband, and she was starting to date again, and she was like, I think seeing this French guy, or I, I can't remember now. It was many years back, and she was saying. Well, you know, I'm not mabenta to, you know, to, to white, white men. Like she, you know, that's not her market. She was saying because she's not the island souvenir look, which, which apparently means like that really long, long hair and, you know, kind of, you know, wear short shorts, <laughs> that whole thing. So, which is like a terrible stereotype. Yeah, you know. also, we even think like right? that sometimes. You know, uh, but we yeah. think like that, right? It's us yeah, also thinking about our compatriots, you know, compatriots that way, which is horrible, which is really horrible. So actually, actually, that's where I wanted to go. And Mark had mentioned earlier about being an expat. So there's a term in Manila, de for sexpats, who are these white boys that in their countries are like meh, but they come here and you know they go to certain bars and and girly bars and all these things and they're treated like kings they're the absolute emperors of the world and many many marriages fail they leave their wives who they came here with and they end up you know basically the kings of the local bar scene the red light district and for a 
definitely I grew up, this is something I really had to unlearn, is looking at a Filipino of a certain trope <laughs> or a certain vibe, island souvenir type, whatever, with a <laughs> foreigner and thinking, okay, well, clearly this is a putanesca arrangement, diba? And historically in my youth, which I'm not proud of, but it was really the way my brain was wired at the time. I'd look at them and, and my disdain, my condescension was for the woman. It was like, ew, you know? And then it's later, terrible, right? it became, yeah. which is terrible. It's awful. And it was really something oh, I had no. to unlearn. And, and the more I learned about, you know, for a lot of these women, this is a pretty desperate life for them. It's not like they're choosing this life because the, so many options and whatever. And it was much, much later, much, much later that I really sort of learned more and really realized, oh my God, okay. And some of these relationships are really awful in terms of, you know, the abuse of power in terms of some of these women really being physically abused or entrapped or being so freaking young, you know? Um, So there are all these other complexities as well. It's not, it's not. For you to have that perception, it's not unusual, and you obviously know that academically, these are not unusual things. But it really goes right at the heart of, of my meeting to Pin. Uh, when mm. I first came to Asia a decade before I met her, uh, you know, I was single and I was traveling all over Asia. And, mm. you know, there was tractions here and there. Uh, there was a girlfriend in Korea briefly, and, and mm-hmm. I was always getting interviews to some nice Thai girls in Bangkok. Yeah. And when you're single, you know, <laughs> you're gonna catch yellow fever well you know that's each to me that was not as real because i my stepmother was japanese i lived in japan as a kid so yellow fever wasn't a thing to me. I mean, <laughs> Asian women were attractive and smart and all the other qualities. I did. Oh my God, look at this. Everything like that in Omaha. Um, but every place I went, Poor the, Omaha. The, the women I would be, the women I would be least, and you guys are going to all love this, or hey, were Filipinas. Uh, and for partly for the reason that you mentioned that a lot of journalists and a lot of guys that the bars and did that that wasn't attractive to me and over a course of a couple of years i got to meet a lot of filipino models beautiful women you know my i briefly i was married to a model in hong kong irish don't ask me how that'll happen but uh so i got introduced to a lot of models in the philippines as well and those kind of ladies didn't attract right again there's nothing to talk about probably the simplest well, I met Japan briefly, and then at my 40th birthday party, we threw a crazy party where everybody, my cameraman and I knew in all of Manila, came from Maurice Okache to the Playboy mm-hmm. buddies uh, with oh B-Boy Enriquez at the Silias to oh all gosh. the friends to, I mean, believe me, it was a whole era of people you would recognize. And my, my cameraman knew Japan quite well. They were, they were kind of buddies. And I said, invite your friend, and uh, uh, who is the cousin of Tina Luz, a lady that worked with us. And yeah, she, yeah. yeah, and she came to this party, and uh, it was a wild thing, and everybody was drunk and had a wonderful time. And a couple of weeks later, I had to come back to the Philippines for another assignment. 
And the whole love story. I didn't give the whole story, but there's nobody I knew in town. <laughs> but I remembered her because obviously we'd had a nice time chatting at this party on some other level than just a pretty Filipino, you know. And so we went on a date. And, and from that point on, we just discovered <laughs> we were kind of friends and soulmates until we weren't. Until, until well, it's 32 years now. <laughs> 32 years now. <laughs> Can you imagine that? So a so, question on, on that, um, you know, because wait, wait, parents- you, you don't get to ask a question first, because I need to ask you a question okay. first, because we've been okay. talking about cis straight relationships as of now. You being the vanilla flavor to your uh, Oreo there, not Oreo, to your marble, your what, what would it be? Black and white cookie. <laughs> your brownie, your, your blondie, your chocolate, your blondie. Okay. Your chocolate. So I'm in, in the gay community, Lou. I know definitely, like certainly in San Francisco, there were certain things, you know, in certain communities there. Na you don't, I know it has to, be, it has to be the opposite. So parang, if I'm black, I have to date someone who's Latino or white. Or if I'm femme, it has to be butch or whatever. Of course, this is ancient, right? In San Francisco, hey, wait, and ask, of course, a very particular community. Yes. Hey, I know. Why, did, why, did your, why did your accent just kick in very strongly right there? Isn't yeah, I know. I know what this is. She's talking to me. Ghost. It, it comes and goes. Apparently, there's a term for it. It's messed up. There's a term for it. There's, it's apparently called bi-dialecticalism or something where you, you don't even hear it and it just happens. So pick one, Laura. Pick. Okay. So Lou. So being the chocolate or being the chocolate. How in it right now in your experience, obviously we can't speak to the entire gay experience in the Philippines, right? But in the communities, let's say that you're in, et cetera, which you know. Is it similar? Is there sort of an ex, a sex bad thing that's happening? Is there more resistance? Is there more acceptance to a certain type of coupling than others? And I, I think that what's interesting is, you know, um, I'll take one step back. I think the issue of, of uh, traditional Filipinos um, looking at white men um, back in the day, there, there's two things, I think. One is, you know, we talked about it slightly a different context with uh, the beauty queens. It is a ticket out in an era where it was post-war. And so the first part of it has, I don't think necessarily, uh, there is a part of like, wow, white, different, uh, attractive, maybe for me, but it's a ticket out. Um, Even now, huh? Even now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the perspective of of the actual Filipino, right? We're in hardship. This is not a good place. And and I need to get out. And and there's different ways of doing that. We had a beauty queen sort of episode where we're saying some beauty queens do that to be able to provide for their families, right? And it is a a ticket out. So I think that alone was a ticket Right, better life, better lifestyle. Provide for their families because they need to provide for Shoot, twenty people in college. Get, get better out of life. Yeah, out of poverty. Get better Absolutely. life. Need better life. Out of starving, starving poverty, where you have to sell your children into the sex trade. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely a ticket out. Sure. Yeah. The other part is obviously you know coming in you know as a savior, right? Which the whole oh my god, you know I can save people. So there is an interesting power connection there between one who needs saving and the other person who comes in to save. And so that alone, you know, basically defined the, the interracial, you know, um, I guess, coupling in this country for the longest time up to today. In the, in the gay world, um, I think what's really interesting, it's again, it's the same issue. It's a price. It's a total price if you bag a white man, right? 
I don't know if it has anything to do with the physicality of the white man. Vis-a-vis, not always, but I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying? That is the perception, I, right? It's and a perception. Will, okay. It is a perception, but that's, you will With go and try it out. I can, I can debunk that mess, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Is that still going on? Is that still true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funnily the, enough, it is. In, in, even in the most sophisticated communities here? I did, I did not think so, actually. You know what? In the more but, but sophisticated yeah. communities here, Tipin, I'd actually say, for some of us, it's we're not mabenta with Filipinos. Because Filipino men, especially in wealthy traditional societies, sometimes don't want someone who's as bulgar as me. Doesn't want a woman who's going to be shit fuck dang- damning all over the grandparents' house and who works and who wants to ganyan, ganyan, ganyan. And, you know, wants to work, wants to go out, wants to whatever. So at least I know that exists too. But sorry, Lou, go ahead. You were saying in the gay community. No, no, I mean, Filipino women, Filipino women are much, you know, stronger than the Filipino men, period. That's a fact. Yeah, I mean, sorry, it is, it is what it is. And so many times you're looking for that. You're looking for somebody who's an equal. Right. There's somebody who you can, you know, you can talk to, you can discuss stuff with. And, and Filipino men are not that, right? Many. In many I cases. Know. Oh, yes. I've seen it like, yes, blatant blanket statement. But, you know, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> a, a lot of it has many. to do with right? Um, was that also for you the same? Did you date Filipinos? I was going to say, Luis or? keeps avoiding this, like, I'm the vanilla no, in her chocolate shake. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I mean, ask the question. I don't know. I mean, my partner, we're, we're turning 20 years right now. I mean, you know Ito. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know his family, right? Um, it's It's been 20 years. I what, what do you want me to tell you? I don't think, I don't think it was a... Well, of course I was a prize to him, but anyways... <laughs> <laughs> Was that your dating history as well before Mark? Did you, were you dating, you know, Filipinos or it didn't really matter? You just you know that in my entire history, I dated exactly three Filipino men and the rest were all foreign men. And it was I don't know how that came to be. I mean, I, I just didn't seem to get along with Filipino mm. men. They always, I always felt like, I always felt like I was stronger. I always felt like I had, I was more assertive, you know. It sounds oh, no. like a cliche, actually. But I really no, felt that's like That's what Louis said, Diva, yeah. yeah. I always yeah. felt, yeah. you know, I was speaking my mind and the Filipino, mm. a lot of Filipino men I, I knew anyway, didn't particularly oh, like, like that. that. So mm-hmm. that turns me off too, you know, and after going through it, after knowing men like this, you kind of say, maybe these are not the kind of men for me, right? Mm-hmm. Although you don't, I don't deliberately go out there looking for either white or brown or whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. You love, it's an emotional decision. It's not a, yeah. it's not an intention, you know? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's not a conscious effort to seek out certain a certain race or a certain skin color or something, but I think you're drawn to certain people because there's an emotional and intellectual connection or whatever you say. And then when you move in certain circles, you're also exposed to certain kind of, you know, people with a certain level of education as well, or, or professional, you know, professional background. So it's not necessarily a race thing consciously, maybe not consciously a race thing. Would you say now? 
it's also not very hard to understand why this happened, you know? I would just say Japan was one of the few Filipinos I knew at that period when I was meeting more Filipinos whose circle of friends were largely Filipinos. I actually knew a richer, it's kind of a richer cultural experience knowing her. I learned more about the Philippines, even though I'd been covering the Philippines for years. Well, first of all, my family's so large. It's a large family. They're from the provinces. They're not from... They're not from Manila, and, but she was yeah. more sophisticated than almost anybody else I knew in Manila. Yeah, but you, when you say she was from the provinces, you make it sound, I mean, the family, you make it sound that they're so back. I mean, come on, we know what province she's from. They're very, you know, kind of So we don't do a deep dive <laughs> I, I, into Tipin's family. There's a kind of connotation as well, and they're obviously... Okay. Well, I first met members of her family doing a story during the uh, the, the deep famine going on in Negros in, in, the, mm. uh, yeah. in the early 1980s. And a lot of the sugar growers that didn't support Marcos were, were, in, were in deep financial problems. Yeah, but, yeah no, it was so, awful. Uh, it was awful. The early years of Marcos were interesting, but the later years were really awful. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I want to underscore that. I just want to point that out. They were really awful. People were starving. Actually, and yes, in agricultural yeah. areas. I just yeah. feel that for some reason, this might be something to underscore. Just saying. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you. Rant over. Absolutely. But, but by provinces, what I mean is you meet people beyond. Those days, it was yeah. all about politics and government and Marcos yeah, yeah. And, and, and the dastardly things Marcos was doing. You don't mm-hmm. meet people living the, the effects of that away mm-hmm. from certain big cities. Great. And Great. you start yeah. out, you know, I'd meet, I wouldn't just, I didn't meet sugar growers, just sugar growers. I spent time in fields. I spent time. Mm-hmm. You know, up in the mountains with yeah. the people yeah. aiding out with the gorillas and all. So yeah. again, but that all kind <laughs> of comes with the gorilla. Gorilla. Right? Once I got her away from the MPA, you know, but I just, you know, just in case, just in case for listeners, you no, know, in case the mic went on and off. Yeah, that was Mark talking about. You know, at the time, all we talked about were the dastardly things that the Marcoses were doing. So moving on, I'd like to go back to, to Lou because I, okay, I think no, that you touched on something. No, no, seriously, really interesting. We were talking about yeah. a ticket out, but it really is a thing still, no? But I always sort of associated that with either household health or kasambahais or um, women in the red light district or whatever, snatching, quote unquote, a foreigner so they could have a ticket out and feed their family and all this. But in, the, in gay communities, because largely, certainly in the Philippines, we don't have gay marriage yet, right? And for the longest time, there was no gay marriage. So what was the dynamic there? Was it different or how? I, you know, I don't know what I'm asking. Are you saying generally or, or, or what? Because, I mean, the, the thing is, since you're, you're not bound by a specific uh, relationship and there's tons of one-night stands, you go for the white guy. Right, the experience is a different thing. It's it's it, that's what happens, okay. right? So it's really and, and, more and an experiential, absolutely, absolutely. off menu, off menu kind of thing. Okay, tick box, tick box, tick box. Yes, yes, yes. You know what's going on, and <laughs> okay. how good you look or you don't. Right? I mean, that's that's yeah. a whole thing. 
But it's also a community thing, like, oh my God, it still is talked about. There's a white guy, go for him, and who's going to win the prize? It really is sort of like winning the prize. Fascinating. Right? Um, I mean, the days of joy and all of that and all those bars, it was really like that, you know? Which is super interesting. No, but, you know, it's it also, also in, let's say, in Grinder in, let's say, the States, classic thing is how, mu- how many profiles say no fatties, no Asians, no femme, right? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Really? And then of oh. course you have the rice king. So it's very interesting to me that dynamic as well. Right? And yeah, and coming here and being treated like a king. So anyway. Back in the 1980s, uh, both of us knew a lot of people in the gay community in the Philippines. But yeah. before I knew Japan, uh, in Hong Kong especially, not much in Japan, a little bit in Japan, you had to know where it was. But in the Hong Kong community, it was also that sense that there were a certain number of uh of, of Brits, Australians. Um, Americans that would come in and, and get engaged in almost kind of a dive into a, a party, mm-hmm. you know, revelry because they were away from place where they were recognized and known. Right. And it was easy right. to be experiment and be That's unknown. Right. Yeah. In a yes. Right. Yeah. There was, I, I know, maybe you can explain how much of that still goes on if there's less of that mm-hmm. uh, than there used to be. Um, we had very close gay friends in Hong Kong, uh, Chinese and, and British, who sometimes partied like, you know, I'm unknown here. It's like being right. in a dark room, going to a bathhouse yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at other times, uh, we're really involved in relationships. And long before I knew, mm-hmm. you know, serious relationships like that out of San Francisco, in San Francisco, yes, right. for years, yeah. but outside of San Francisco, New York. Hong Kong was the first place I started seeing people in those kind of relationships uh, that were kind of, as well as that other aspect of. What do you mean by relationships? You mean like with Asia? Uh, mix? Yeah, yeah, mix, yeah. Mix, yeah. The other thing, uh, Lau, I think now that, uh, you know, Mike was mentioning that, it's really also interesting because in the Philippines, in sort of, let's say, um, higher society circles, nobody was out. I mean, I still really don't know anybody who's really out yeah. leading a normal life honestly it really well, doesn't happen we, you and i can count on probably the same four fingers maybe exactly there's nothing right and, and if not then it becomes the super flamboyant whatever blah blah or you know or an entertainer and so it, it's the same thing you're talking most of the gay people out there as in out there are also not people from society so it's also a sort of ticket out experientially probably the first meet but it's also like, you know, um, we can go somewhere else and I can live in a different circle. And if I attach myself right. to a white gay man, the circle in Manila is going to be embassies, parties with other foreigners, blah, blah, blah. And my life is definitely instantly upgraded. So you wanted to move up, like the mobility in that sense was, was much quicker as well. Interesting. Um, and and so that still stands. For, that still stands. I also just wanted to add like really quickly that um, you were talking about, you know, people coming to Manila, uh, foreign men who think, you know, this is crazy experiment, wild, you know, go crazy. But I also noticed that, you know, you have a lot of like Spanish people now coming in in the last several years or Europeans. I mean, everything in Manila because it's booming and and all that, right? The economy. And um, so someone was saying, I think this is like already daughters of, of friends. Like, you know, they would start dating one of these expats and, and then they would say, oh, it's a good thing you found you found him first before he started hitting the bars. You know what I mean? 
So I know. So it, it's just, yeah, it, it works it, it's in several that, ways. Like, is that still really going on? I don't know if the bar scene's still going on, but you know, I mean, there was a time when they would say, I mean, obviously you had the whole Mala, um, MH Del Pilar scene, wow. right? Way back. That, that would have been your time, right, Mark? I mean, in the Mabini. 80s. And, uh, no, Malata Bini. Yes, that was all my time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then it moved to Burgos, apparently. And then, you know, you had places like Havana, where you could meet all these foreigners or something. But there's, you know, this whole thing, like sometimes, like you have nobodies that come to Manila, but just because they're nobodies. foreigners, or well, the no, places, no, I mean, places that, yeah. that, went on, that I always felt were the saddest was were uh, uh, Subi Bay and uh, Alangapo, yeah, right. Of because this, I have many stories. I I I did one of the first stories about one of the first AIDS cases in the Philippines, and it was up in Angeles City or Alangapo, one of the two. You know, that's very early in the 80s. And so I got to know that scene very well. In fact, I got to know Dick Gordon very well mm-hmm. over, over a year. So we knew each other for a 15-year period where I did stories that involve him at one time or another. But so the first few years I'd cover the Philippines, I was very familiar with that. And the journalists would drift in and out, and I'd get taken to places. Um, and I can say it didn't really attract me very much. For one thing, I didn't find them as fun as the as the bar scenes that were going on in Thailand, which was a lot more fun and a, hard to explain. It was a lively, it was a little somehow it it seemed like fun. It seemed a little more like a cartoon. So if you were engaging, it wasn't something that serious. Philippines bar scene I found a little more desperate. Like well, you know, because they're a little are. more hungry because there was a yeah. poverty thing that was that was I won't get into differences Poverty in Thailand and the Philippines, but, but there are some things. But, but, but then it met, when I started meeting a different class of people to the point we've been talking about tonight, then you're getting, for fun, you're getting taken to places like Giraffe and, and the club mm. scene and, and Makati. You know, you're going to sophisticated discos instead of hanging out about in uh, uh, bars mm-hmm. down. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, a lot of Del Pilar, Mabinia. Oh, so so back to you, Mark and Pipin. Is there is there something parang you want to make sure you get to say or reflect on, or you want to ask us, or I don't know, want want Filipinos to think about, or or people in these kinds of relationships to reflect on, or I don't know what. I mean, you know. Uh, there's one thing I really want to say, uh, and mm. and I think I might have mentioned it to Bambina. Uh, the uh, the I think he, she mentioned uh, the, the name of a person who did a, a thesis or a study or a... Uh, yeah, a no, he was an academic. Yeah, in mm-hmm. fact, I was going to ask you about that. That, that mm-hmm. if it, you what know, had you been? Oh. Having to defend. White mm-hmm. worship. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I hear that term, I, I really cringe, mm-hmm. you know, because, yeah. uh, well, for one, it doesn't, I, it doesn't pertain to me. And mm-hmm. I think it should pertain to anyone mm-hmm. anyway. But... Mm-hmm. I also know that the reality is that there are really, we, as we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. people who see white, not because they're white, but because this is, this is a way out of poverty, right? Or a certain group of, of people, right? That's really all there is to it. It's not so much, I don't know whether physicality has anything to do with it, but I think for the most part, for really desperate cases, it's a way out of poverty. 
but when it's discussed like almost as a generic thing that like you know mm-hmm. white ship like Filipinos go for white because there's colonial I guess it's a relic of colonial times or whatever and that really makes me cringe because I mm-hmm. think that among the people I know among my it has really nothing to do with that and for me it's an equals you know it's a marriage of equals it's a relationship yeah. I don't look at Mark as better than me and he he doesn't look at me as better than him although I think he should um, yeah of course he should yeah, but so that's, I mean, you're the prize. I am the prize. I am the prize. <laughs> I cringe a little bit when I hear things like that. White worship. Maybe I'm just a little bit sensitive about that. Maybe uh, because it's if, it's, if it's a blanket statement, or if it's if a blanket it's statement, a blanket yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I think if there's so, anything we've we've really heard today is how diverse talaga the experiences yes. are across the board. But that yes, we have certain tropes that or certain things that we grow up with that we're taught to believe yeah. mejorar la raza right to us one but, but yeah it's so diverse sorry lou you were saying i didn't yeah i i think at the end i think my takeaway if i can sort of share where, where this is going for me um we we've said this so many times we are a halo halo society so i think what's important is i was going to ask you guys a while ago when you met that time what is it that attracted you to each other I was sharing that my parents, my dad, there's this saying in Spanish that you need to love somebody or when you meet somebody, misma religión, so same religion, misma posición, and misma, misma nación. So it was a little bit saying the same nation, same religion, and basically same class. Why? The point was you ensure that your value system is the same and you sort of can try to ensure longevity in your relationship. That was sort of the... Uh, the thing behind it. So when, when my parents got married and, you know, coming from the Philippines, the first thing that my grandfather asked is like, oh my God, what are the kids going to look like, right? And so, um, which is the first thing that came up. But, you know, uh, the point I'm trying to make is like, uh, let's be conscious about why we like, you know, Filipinos. Like, who are we, right? What do we like about that other person? And what, what binds us together? Um, and to be very, very clear about that, right? I think it's it's uh, it's important to know why <laughs> when we're marrying into an interracial, you know, when we have an interracial into relationship. Into any marriage. Into any marriage. <laughs> why, why are we doing so? Yeah, so there if you go. If we're getting married at all, I tell my kids, I'm like, if you decide to get married, if you decide to have kids, this is not a requirement, huh? you be careful. <laughs> like you really think about it before you do that because it's a serious thing. But just a yeah, quick... But, uh, Side story I wanted to share here. We haven't talked so much about the reverse experience of how yeah. Filipinas or Filipinos are accepted by the other families, right? And I remember um, when I when I went to Argentina, so when my, my husband, my boyfriend at the time was here and he had written how old we are, right? Written or faxed someone in his family <laughs> that he was dating a Filipina. And of course, you know, there's a bit of a uh, silence <laughs> kind of, oh, okay. And then when I showed up, there was confusion. And then when I opened my mouth, there was even more confusion because the American accent came out then, right? And then, however, I remember two distinct moments. One was the mother, no, the mother of someone related to his ex-girlfriend. They'd been together for a very long time. And I thought she was being extremely hospitable and lovely. And she was like, you know, Laura, I heard, I didn't speak Spanish at the time. I heard that you love art. Why don't I take you to an exhibit opening? Fabulous, how nice, fantastic. Oh my gosh, how Filipino, sure. So I go, we have a great time. Oh, you know, she's this artist from New York, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm like this 
clueless, money, penniless student. But okay, sure, I'm the artist from New York. Then as we're going home, she says to me, so how are things? Oh, fantastic. Fine, fine. You know, because this ex-girlfriend, she's also very happy. You know, she married this Mexican and she's extremely happy. Good family, doing very well, et cetera, et cetera. I said, oh, good for her. I've heard great things about her. I'd love to meet her. Well, yeah, because we were worried. She, you know, Argentinian marrying this Mexican. And we were very concerned she was marrying someone from such a different culture. Can you imagine? <laughs> this Filipino <laughs> face. I'm like, yeah, that, that must be a bitch. Hmm. Okay, well, this was fun. See you, right? <laughs> and then other times in Argentina, mga, when his, his mother, bless her heart, or his grandmother, I think, had heard that my mother was a doctor. Then things were better. Because at least a doctor, right? And then that my mom was a doctor to someone that they knew. Then it was like, but it was, it was very subtle. It was, and Argentinians are known to be fairly hmm, white in Latin America, no? But there were, for me, the hurdles in that family were, or in that environment were subtle, but they were there, right? And, I, and they were, it was class also saved me there. Right, having a mother of a certain profession who knew certain people who whatever, um, and so yeah, I'm kind of curious. I guess Bams also with a white British husband at the time, or Tipin for you and, and Mark's family. I don't know. Was that how was that experience, or was it a non non story? There was nothing. There. Non Both of ours essentially didn't have parents. Where there were yeah, I mean, I, parents I, passed away. I lost my parents. Oh, I'm sorry. So, they, they okay. were, so There's I no think, family interfering ever. I think okay. if my parents were alive, they would have had an issue with a, you know, the three things that uh, you mentioned that Lu, uh, Luis, yeah, Luis, uh, yeah, Luis yeah. all the three boxes is mark X for me, not say religion, <laughs> X, no, nothing. Culture, no, um, yeah. If my parents were alive, they might have an, an issue with him not being a Catholic, him being divorced. Yeah. I don't know. They might have had seizures. The you know? strongest difference between us <laughs> is that, that she is Filipina, mm -hmm. and I'm not really much of a culture of anything. She make, she, you're, she always, when we have talk about politics, but you're an American, you should care about this. Well, in a funny kind of way, I've lived outside the United States over half my life. Uh, I was gone from 1978 till, till 2009. And it was like a different country I came back to. I was yeah. much more comfortable outside my country. But Tapin's power of Filipino culture is much on a much higher yeah. level. So to the degree, whenever we travel the Philippines, whenever we're about to do something, she's constantly, constantly after 35 years, still pre-warning me. Now remember, Filipinos are a little different. <laughs> Remember at this dinner party, the Filipinos remember that these are Filipinos. <laughs> Constantly doing this. And I'm, I go to Penn, I have been to more masses in my life than you have as a journalist. <laughs> I know. But as a Filipino, they do things differently. Said, no, but mm -hmm. you know, you don't know my titas, my, you, my relatives, etc. <laughs> but you always couch it in, but they're Filipinos. Yeah. The peculiar age to me are no. An old lady. I know how to handle old ladies. Not a problem. Uh, she's always, she, so she's always worried about us. And I think it goes to what all of you are talking about. Mm -hmm. Filipinos don't have this really strong way to define their culture and themselves. Mm -hmm. It's some of the hollow, hollow thing. It's the effects of colonialism. It's, uh, you know, who are we? There's, there's a, sometimes a little yeah. defensiveness. Mm -hmm. you know, there's, oh, there's so many going abroad and working mm -hmm. in service industries for other yeah. people. Like, who are we as a culture? It makes 
Every place I've lived or spent a lot of time, the Filipinos are the only people that are constantly asking, why are we this way? Who are we? Are we, you know, why is it this? Oh, that's way? interesting why? for me to hear. That's really in interesting. Japan, there's just arrogance. We are this. In Korea, just arrogance. We are we this. Are the- Thailand, just arrogance. We are this. Because oh, they all have long, more ethnically cohesive histories than yes, this yeah, yeah. of Spanish-American, Malay, islands, languages, cultures in the Philippines. Yeah. Not only that, I think, and also interesting. I mean, I just and also I just did a paper on this, right? So quickly, there's a lot of nationalism and chip on the shoulder Mm -hmm. stuff in the Philippines. But remember, a lot of that got whipped up during the Marcos era, just like Mm -hmm. just like Trump tried to whip it up here in America. This, you know, Americans are trying to put you down, said Marcos, who was smuggling all this money out of the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but that became useful. Because it became a way for a generation of Philippines to start defining themselves. Oh, yes, we're better than those Americanos. We're going to kick those Americanos out of the bases. And, and that is not, hasn't been very good. Although the reigniting of Philippine nationalism has been good for people that are going to universities and, and, and traveling more and, and have a better sense of their history yeah. today than they did when they right. were growing up. Well, and it, you know, no, I, I guess, mean, I guess these kinds of conversations. Yeah, we, we need some sort of conversation with a mention of uh, Benedict Anderson or Guinness. Yeah. Imagine communities and stuff and how all this nationalistic whatever is all arbitrary anyway, no? But okay. no, but it's true that there is, that part of it is a defensiveness as well, because I think our culture, we're, we're constantly negotiating who we are and, you know, or trying to define it and, and trying to make sense of all the different influences that, yeah. you know, at one point there, at one point it was fashionable to, kind of deny everything that was Spanish in us because, you know, we're Asians now, we're Southeast Asians, uh, and we're trying to find affinities with people in Southeast Asia. We're trying to claim our place also, you know, within within our region. But at the same time, you can't erase. You've got to assimilate all, you know, you've got to take yeah. the good with the bad. You because know, that's so okay. it's, it's yeah, if you don't If you don't like ube, yeah, sorry yeah. ka na lang. There's ube and halo-halo. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, yeah. there's gelatin, there's freaking pinipig, there's everything. But yeah, I agree. And, we, are, and, we are redefining Halo Halo tonight. I love that. That's right. <laughs> Our identity is Halo Halo, baby. Proudly Halo Halo. Conditioning that's happened, you know, since we were little. Exactly. so much yeah. of it. Yeah. It's yeah. very hard to... Yeah, to get rid of it. No, yeah, but and conditioned to reject our own culture and our own exactly. identity. We've also been taught to reject anything Filipino too. We've yeah. also been taught for a while there. There were many years yeah. of my life where I was like, I'm not Filipino. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more American yeah. than I'm yeah. Filipino or whatever, right? Um, well, to that point though, that's precisely why we love having these conversations, right? Because there is a love for who we are, and it's not trying to find one box where we can fit perfectly. But to kind right. of explore all these different experiences, the love story that you guys have, I think, is really beautiful and, quite frankly, aspirational. A lot of people dream about having this amazing love story that takes place on multiple continents, and you know, in two weeks' notice, we just up and leave, and we're so cosmopolitan, oh, and we have great oh kids, Deba, and, <laughs> and now we're in Deba, and now we're in New York City, and we're like, right, and we're fabulous and whatever. But but there are also other stories that that have maybe the same faces that they're different, Deba. So I, me personally, I find it very helpful and loving 
to explore these stories truthfully, no? As as Filipinos of various mongrel breeds. <laughs> but the good work. I think you do great, oh, great thing with this. Oh, that's podcast. kind, Tipin. Thank I you. have one question. I have one question for Mark. Oh, sorry. Just quickly, Mark and Tipin also. How do Filipino men relate to you? Maybe more so in the Philippines than in, in, in the States or in London or wherever else you've been because you married one of their own, you know? You've never been asked. There's also kind of, there's a whole psychology behind the thing, right? I understand. I, um, to, funny. I can't. I've never been asked that. In the Philippines, probably my only good Filipino friend besides a couple of twins, Pippin's brothers, who have kind of a, kind of a, he tries to play golf with, but, yeah, yeah. but fails miserably. Uh, is, is a cameraman that used to work with? No, I don't have. Almost all the people I know in Philippines are, are women, you know, up to 90-year-old oh, uh, aunts. Maybe I'll, I'll answer that a little bit. Um, just, just citing an example. One or two examples maybe is all I can do because they were vocal about it. They're, they get a little bit intimidated. Like this guy I know who's married to one of my best friends says, oh my God, oh, there's Mark Litkebis. He says, oh my God, I don't know what to say. I don't know because he's, I'm not as smart as he is. And you know, what am I going to talk to him about? And things like that. Yeah. Whereas the uh, women don't do that. The They're women, no. Like, like, yeah. Can I take a selfie with you? That's such an that's interesting, a very question. interesting question. Um, I just... When we, I don't know. Yeah, it, just, uh, two, only two examples I can say. I hang around with you and your friends. Yeah, but right? only two examples. The husband of the best friend, another guy who told me, oh, I, you know, I don't know what to talk to your husband about because I'm intimidated because he's a journalist and he's been all over the world. He's covered all sorts of things. You know, this this can get into a much heavier conversation, as you met, mentioned earlier about, uh, Luis said, about women being stronger. That is, that's been my experience across the board and i used to make something that sounds a little derogatory but isn't meant to be um i i the filipino men i would meet in doing stories who would act the way ben just described it was this sort of lack of confidence in this yeah. this role that they somehow felt somewhat diminished in my presence I used to call it the a manolo complex remember richard nixon had an aide in the white house his personal ballet was named manolo and it was Filipino. Uh, yeah. And it was oh, like I never knew that. Like wow, this, this is news to me. Like this servant will, wanting to please the boss mentality, which used to drive me crazy. Even yeah. professional the cameraman I work with. He said, You guys are professional cameramen. You don't have to act like a servant. But I would see that tendency a lot. Oh, interesting. It, was, it was really hard to, to deal with sometimes, even to try to bring them out of that kind of insecurity. Talk to me. I die, man to man. You don't have to say, sir, sir, sir. You're making yeah, me yeah, think, the obsequiousness yeah. actually like, like obsequious. always gets to me. You're making me think, oh, Mark. I wonder if there is a, a topic there also on a perceived yeah. emasculation of the Filipino. Yeah. That's, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah, no, we should do that. But the other thing also that's interesting when you say that is that we have strong women. I mean, that's, that's beyond dispute, right? But, and I've brought this up so many times in my, my work, like we have strong women, but they keep raising men, the same kind of men. <laughs> they keep raising their sons to be the same kind of men. So I don't get it. Right. I think that's part of the conversation <laughs> for sure. 
It was not as all loving and loving and loving and loving <laughs> as you keep wanting to describe this loving relationship. Bullshit. Not kidding. But without too much sentimentality, it was as close to as good a relationship. It's the best relationship with any person I've had it, male or woman. Oh I've had God. it. Like, oh, I didn't have this good relationship you. with my parents, with oh. my siblings. Oh, that's so lovely. And I had two marriages, and I'm actually friends with both wives. Actually, Tapin is friends with both yeah. my ex-wives as well, like my which friends. is really kind of interesting. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> but, but they lasted, you know, in the five-year range. We've been together 35 years. And it's, that's incredible. Uh, that's incredible. That's what a lovely thing. <laughs> so, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for thinking of, for thinking of us, Bambina. Uh, you persisted. Well, thank you so much. And it's your anniversary, right? It's your oh, anniversary it's soon. Or it was last week when you first asked oh, us why yeah. make yeah. Yeah. Happy, Happy anniversary. anniversary. Groundhog Day is our anniversary. <laughs> 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 wake up and same person I wake that up. That is awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh lovely. Oh, I can't they tell say you we're young and we don't know. <laughs> was it? I got you, oh, Bambina, I know you're in the UK, and it must be what time yeah. is it there? Three Four in the morning. Uh, Three thirty. Yeah. Okay. okay, I do. I do want to make sure I get out. How grateful I am for the two of you, because no matter how beautiful a love story is, I understand that it can feel vulnerable, right? Because you're not quite sure what's going to be discussed and how. Um, and yes. I so appreciate your openness and your bravery and your warmth and giving us something to aspire to <laughs> so I, I, goals a couple goals i was a little tense because i didn't know what things you were gonna you, ask you, you never know. got around we to how this because we don't know all all we know is we that it know. is all we know is it is going to be grounded in goodness and try to really contribute to this understanding exploration of this hollow hollowness that's it there is no gotcha there is no that's all we can promise goodness in a safe space and perhaps some cussing and some humor <laughs> beyond that how often do you do this thing this podcast thing once every two weeks once every two weeks okay and you have different topics and oh yes we've yeah. tackled some interesting we tackled the very first episode was on the lgbtq community locally but why the relative absence of the L in that community? So we had a very good friend of mine, my best friend from childhood, actually. Uh, we were best friends in Saint school and she and her wife, they're not legally married, but they're here with a son and they have a beautiful family. But, you know, it's difficult not being officially married and, and perceptions of what's okay to be lesbian what's accepted as a lesbian in the Philippines. You can't be too butch. You can't be, you know what I mean? These, you have to be part of humor. Yeah. So they still use, there was an expression I used to hear back in late 70s or 70s, the T-bird or Oh yeah. But it's used. But now sometimes it's co-opted as a power term depends on who's using it like language yeah, right? I, yeah, that yeah. doesn't surprise me yeah 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 thank you so much thank you bless you both, bless you both. thank you so very oh, much nice to meet you all louise say so hello lovely to meeting you. thank you remembers me <laughs> i will do i was okay, like 18 years old or something like that yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 Please. Yes. Let's have this in real, in real time with like cocktails and stuff. Are you doing a picture? picture? I, I did some on, yeah. the, on the fly, but let's do oh, a picture. Okay, Thank cool. you for reminding me. Okay. Ready? Okay. Hold okay. on. Okay. One, two, three. And do it again for safety. And you can try a different pose. If anyone wants to turn on their wind machine, now's the time. <laughs> okay. I got it. Lovely. I will send you guys. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Bye. 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 Take care. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. See you. See ya. Bye. Good night. Okay. So, ending this this podcast, Lou and Bams, what say you? What up? What up? You know what I really love is that we never know how it's going to go. We never know which yeah. direction it's going to take. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, so I, I could start this time because I usually, you know, try to jump in at the end. But I was, I really try to come these conversations and I really try to control my expectations or try not to have them at all, right? Because yeah, when we mm-hmm. meet and when we started these conversations, we really didn't know where they were going to go. And I, but I was aware of the fact that we had a couple and so there's love and vulnerability involved here, right? So parang I was very hyper aware of trying to make sure that that was respected and no one felt that they were put on a platform with a microscope to be examined and right. right and what i really loved i think hearing was the diversity of experience right of course halo halo ulit ganyan ganyan but i do for me as always the things i'm most interested in i do think it's really important to definitely recognize when we're the lucky ones you know what I mean? Like for me, yes, I had certain racial run-ins and all these things, but I am definitely in a more privileged position than someone who needs to quote bag a foreigner so that I can feed my kid. You know what I mean? Um, and certainly that still exists. And I also appreciated what Bams was saying about when we're going to talk about our identity, it really is the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all of it. It's this beautiful love story, but also some other ones that are not great that yeah that's why we were raised with these images in our heads of ew that's not a good relationship or oh but naman or whatever so yeah for me it was really i just appreciated the the range the spectrum uh, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it's it, it's we are a country of interracial relationships we are interracial we are you know from the get-go absolutely from the get-go it's again for me it's important to just really understand as a person and how we approach our partners no matter who they are being conscious about what we're looking for in the partnership right and as long as you're comfortable with that you know who you are and what you want to get out of it hey love is love is love is love (laughs) no and you really can't fault people i mean it's everyone's you know we're not here to judge who you marry, why you get married, and you know, or who you choose to have a relationship with. And if, if for some people there are um, social economic considerations, that's their business, right? You know, I just feel like you said, if 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 for those social economic reasons, they're allowing abuse because they have no other option. That's a different story, right? You know, allowing but, maybe putting up with or or. Feeling that they have no out. It's hard. Yeah. Or, or even yeah. the idea now when we talk about interracial Filipino marriages, we're really primarily thinking about with white people. 
Diba? That's sort of yeah. the unspoken fact, norm. I, I guess we haven't spoken about any other. We haven't spoken about any no, other. I, I remember that um, it, when I was in Paris, and I, I think Tipin might even know her, but um, because she's also from Bacolod. But um, when I was living in Paris, there was, and I'm working at UNESCO, there was this Filipina who was there who was married to this just black American photographer who was so cute, a really nice guy, actually. And she was, you know, she was, she was not like model type or whatever, you know, she was normal. And um, very bright, very well. I mean, I'm, I'm not even trying to defend. I'm just saying that, you know, he was very good looking <laughs> and he was black, yeah. which is not, it's kind of like already, like you said, the reaction of your family, right? When you were mm-hmm. dating a black yeah. guy. So, but then it's so funny because the other Filipinos who were there in Paris would say, well, you know, she must be so happy every night. So you bring oh in all God. these other stereotypes as well, yeah. right? How awful. I'm sorry to be clear. That was my tita, huh? Not my family. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, very arms wide open, right? For the white mm-hmm. savior. Yeah. For the right? white guy, but or oh, the Latino telenovela looking, ano? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mukang <laughs> Marimar. <laughs> okay. Well, thank well, you guys. Ladies, I love I this episode. A good one. I think we have too. And I love that it was ultimately a celebration of love. So happy hearts month. See you soon. Well, was it worth it? Did we work it? Put that thing down. Flip it in reverse it. Keep flipping with us. Subscribe to Flipping the Narrative wherever you get your podcasts to listen to our new episodes as soon as they drop. We are on social media too. Follow at Flipping the Narrative on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what you think. Or send us an email at flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. That's flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. Music courtesy of Cumbia Mamacita by Yoki of Ozen Beats. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Josel Gaston, our sound editor and musical engineer and podcast advisor and overall guru, and to Nami Kapati, the artist who created our awesome logo and visuals. Till we flip again. <laughs> <laughs>